welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for joining us. The COVID-19 pandemic created a year unlike any other, and here in Detroit, life amid COVID-19 was both turbulently heartbreaking and sometimes inspiring. Often, those things were happening at the same time. Joining us for an hour-long look at the ways that residents, businesses, and city officials responded to all the really crazy twists and turns of 2020 here in Detroit are some guests who know this city really well. Bridge Detroit is a news and engagement organization that took shape earlier this year amid the pandemic, and over the last several months, the team there has dug into everything from the economic impact of the pandemic to local protests that are calling for an end to systemic racism, to blight remediation efforts, and the use of facial recognition technology by the Detroit police. It was a year jam-packed with so much news, and we're going to spend today's show revisiting some of the biggest moments of that year. Later in the hour, I'm going to talk with Bridge Detroit Managing Director and Editor Catherine Kelly, along with Bridge Detroit Reporter and Assistant Editor Olivia Lewis. But first, we're going to dig into some of the most memorable moments and stories of the year with Bridge Detroit Reporter and Producer Bryce Huffman. Bryce, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me on, Stephen. And also with us is Bridge Detroit Senior Reporter Lewis Aguilar. Lewis, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. So I need to say up front that uh, this is a pretty familiar conversation for me uh, because uh, Bridge Detroit is an organization that I helped launch earlier this year. I, I worked with a team of folks from the Center for Michigan and some other places uh, to come up with the idea for Bridge Detroit, to get it funded, and to get it launched earlier this year. Uh, and I have to say that I am as blown away as anybody by the work that the team at Bridge Detroit has been able to do uh, this year. So it's really great to have them with us for this hour. Uh, I'm going to start here. Uh, Lewis, when we launched Bridge Detroit in May, COVID-19 was at its peak of taking so many people from us here in Detroit and all over the nation. Uh, you kicked it off with an example of the kind of resiliency and support that Detroiters were providing for each other. Talk about the story you told about the residents of Vinewood Street uh, as we were just getting started at Bridge Detroit. Yeah, you know, I by the time we launched, I mean, really, I mean, uh, it had COVID had already changed everyone's lives. I mean. It wasn't just the amount of people who were getting sick and dying, unfortunately, but I mean, everybody's normal routines pretty much had been destroyed. And so what I thought was missing in the coverage of, of a lot of media was really just the signs of resiliency of everyday people. And I found a great example uh, in Southwest Detroit in the Hubbard Farms uh, uh, neighborhood on one simple street where it's just a very simple idea of people getting out of their house at a certain time every week at a certain day, every Friday, like it was like seven o'clock and how that became a ritual for so many, for people just to feel connected again. And it was such a great example of people bonding together 
uh, it had been this really unique time where there was so much isolation. And I, it was a good chance for me to talk about how people bonded, one neighborhood bonded together, uh, but also really the talent mm -hmm. in that street and that yes. neighborhood, because it really evolved into uh, such a social gathering where there were concerts held on porches. Uh, they had a lot of talent actually on the street <laughs> in the neighborhood. There were poets, uh, published poets, uh, you know, recording artists who volunteered to sing on porches and perform. Uh, so it was a great uh, example of how Detroiters really bonded together and helped each other uh, beyond uh, just, the, you know, the terrible statistics we were reading every day. Yeah, I mean, it was really a great look at how, how normalcy really just survives no matter what, that, that the need to feel like things are normal uh, really overwhelms just about anything, including in this case, a pandemic. And the folks on that street were taking the precautions that they needed to take in order to, to see each other and, and to connect with each other. But that, that strength of the drive, I think, to just be together is something that really defines that part of Detroit, I think, but it also just defines, it defines this city. I thought it was a story that really captured the spirit of Detroit in a really important way. Yeah, thank you. I really enjoyed writing it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bryce, uh, here in Detroit, it was uh, more than just a conversation about uh, police brutality uh, when we got to the question of, uh, of, uh, BLM and and the things like that. You did a lot of work, early work, um, uh, in the early life of Bridge Detroit, really bringing to life the questions that were being raised uh, after the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis and after cities like Detroit all over the country really started to, to explode with this incredible uh, activism, mostly by mostly led by young people, uh, led by women in many cases. Uh, talk about the pivot from COVID to BLM and how your work really really captured uh, that 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 change. Yeah, uh, I think that um, early on in in the summer, uh, before it was even officially summer. When George Floyd was killed, I think people kind of forget uh, because his name absorbed so many of the headlines. But, you know, around that same time, Breonna Taylor was killed. And uh, just maybe a month before that, the video of Ahmaud Aubrey being shot was released. So uh, people were angry uh, and people were stressed by COVID and being forced to stay in. And I think with George Floyd's killing, um, it really just exploded because there was such a heinous nature to the video. Um, so along with all of that aggression and anger from people and all of these other feelings, um, people wanted to bring up their grievances when it comes to law enforcement, things that um, maybe they had felt for a while. And, and these were conversations that now, because the entire country and really a lot of the world were focused on uh, how the police treat black Americans, um, some of these conversations could come back up. One of them uh, that I think people didn't immediately connect with um, when it comes to law enforcement is the idea of facial recognition. A lot of people I talked to didn't actually know much about it 
until we started covering it heavily. But uh, I did a few pieces just kind of on the Detroit Police Department's um, use of this technology, mm-hmm. where it is being used, um, the the idea that Detroiters feel over-policed as it is. Um, and when people were talking about defunding the police, um, paying for facial recognition cameras and, and maintenance was certainly something that people were trying to get rid of and trying to divert um, funds away from to to fund other programs and, and social services to help Detroiters. So this summer saw a lot of heated debates about it. Um, and ultimately, a lot of Detroiters still feel really uneasy about it, even, even though they can acknowledge that... Um, you know, things like Project Greenlight, which are supposed to be crime prevention programs, um, even though they could admit that those things do make business owners feel better, um, there's still a question about, are the police violating our rights? And and as Detroiters, should we, you know, allow them to use funds to violate our rights? Mm. Uh, Bryce, I also want to talk about a, a multimedia piece you did about gun violence here in the city. And that, that was a, another story that really uh, emerged uh, amid all the other things that were going on in 2020, was that this was also, as many years are here in Detroit, a very violent year. And it was a year in which lots of people were not just losing people close to them to COVID, uh, but were losing uh, people as they do each year uh, to the violence that that still really plagues uh, Detroit. Um, you did this piece through the lens of its impact on three Detroit mothers, which was a really, really fascinating way to to focus on that. I first want to listen to an excerpt from that story and then have you talk about uh, the approach there and, and putting that together to tell that story in the way you did. Frankie's favorite thing to do with her kids was take them to the park. She would start grilling, and she would let them run around. Unfortunately, on a nice warm day last August, Frankie decided to take her kids to the wrong park. On the day um, of the shooting, how did you find out about it? Um, Tamia called me, her twin. Because she was there, it was her and her twin, and she had ran. And they was like, oh man, we... When they heard the shooting, they they lighted up, but the babies were still up. She turned around to get her baby. That's how she got shot. Frankie had nothing to do with the shooting. She wasn't even near where the shooting took place. But just like that, Detroit lost another innocent bystander, Sherry Scott lost her daughter, and seven kids lost their mom. Scott says Frankie's death had a big effect on the family. Yeah, but the kids, um... The kids are healthy as far as uh, physical, but mentally, they're, um, it's hard to adjust. It's even hard for me to even just sometimes look at them because they all look like walking Frankies. You know, Bryce, you listen to that, uh, that clip and you hear in that mother's voice just the the tremendous strain and anguish that uh, she's going through. And that, I think it's really important for us in Detroit to recognize that that is a constant 
for us. That is a constant for our community. And yes, this has been an extraordinary year of loss because of COVID-19, but loss because of violence uh, is something that we've experienced in large large ways before. Uh, we experienced it this year, and there's no reason to believe that we won't experience it uh, next year and into the future. Uh, talk about the approach that you used in this piece, this idea of focusing it on Detroit mothers and the losses that that they shoulder. Yeah, so when when this piece, you know, when we first started thinking about how we wanted to talk about uh, the uptick that our city saw in gun violence, uh, I think at the point of this piece being written, there were 215 homicides in Detroit, which was about 25% higher than that point last year. Um, and I think when, when we started talking about it, we were like, all right, do we want to just talk about what law enforcement plans to do about it? Do we want to just talk to community members about how they feel about violence? And uh, we, we ended up settling on, well, what's the most impactful way to talk about gun violence? And it's to talk about what it takes away from people, what it takes away from Detroiters. Um, and this is probably the hardest piece I've ever had to write. Um, just listening back and forth to the tape over and over again was, uh, was definitely challenging. But I think it was important because so many of us have lost people to gun violence, or at least we know people who have. Um, and when we talk about these murders, a lot of the time, uh, it, it, a lot of the time we read reports about the number of homicides or the number of shootings. We just see a number. Um, but I think we have to look at what each and every one of those numbers represents, you know, in the piece I even, I go to say, you know, Frankie was just one of 200 some murders that year. Um, and when we look at it that way, it's like, oh, this happens. This loss is felt by a lot of people. There are a lot of ripple effects to gun violence. Um, so I think it was just an interesting way to, um, frame a discussion that we often kind of gloss over in a city that has so many murders. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with the staff of uh, Bridge Detroit. Bryce Huffman and Louis Aguilar are going to stay with us for another segment. And then we will welcome Catherine Kelly, who is the managing director and editor of Bridge Detroit, and Olivia Lewis, a reporter and assistant editor with Bridge Detroit to the conversation. If you want to join the conversation, call and tell us all hour. What was your most memorable moment in 2020? Was it something good? Was it something that gave you clarity? Or is this a year in which you experienced tremendous loss? Uh, call and share that with us as well. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET delivers trusted news, inclusive conversations, and cultural experiences that empower the community. 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests right now are Bryce Huffman, he's a reporter and producer. For Bridge Detroit, a new news and engagement organization that uh, was launched this year. Uh, Bryce is also host of the podcast, Same, Same, Different. Uh, also with us is Louis Aguilar. He's a senior reporter. 
for Bridge Detroit. We are talking about the year 2020 here in Detroit. Uh, Bridge Detroit launched in May amid the pandemic uh, and immediately had to figure out how to make sense of all of the crazy twists and turns that 2020 threw at us. Uh, We also want to hear from you about 2020. Uh, What are some of the things that will stand out in your memory of this year? Are they good things? What was the most memorable moment that you had? Uh, Or was it a year in which you just kind of got a little more clarity about important things in life or learned to mourn losses uh, in, in a different way, given the number of losses that we've experienced in this community over the last 12 months. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Uh, you can also go to Facebook and to Twitter. Uh, to put comments there, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Lewis, uh, I want to talk uh, with you a little about uh, the BLM protests. As they rose up this summer, you reported on the first weekend of protests and clashes with the police. Um, what do you think your what do you think set your story apart from the from the many other local stories that were coming out uh, around this topic? It really was was a different take. Well, you know, at Bridge Detroit, we try to always focus on getting as many Detroit voices in the story as possible because we think that's what's missing uh, far too often in other media. And really, once again, it was just talking to so many people involved in why they participated. And I think it presented a much fuller picture of why people were there. Uh, I know that that weekend it ended in violence unfortunately and that was the headlines that dominated uh, uh, most coverage but uh, we took time to talk to the many people from the you know the community organizers the uh, I, I met so many I recognized so many small business owners in Detroit who were there I saw families who were there uh, and for them to talk about you know the need to go out to uh, march amid a, uh, a pandemic and, you know, the need to speak out against, uh, you know, what was going on uh, nationally in terms of uh, police brutality uh, was something I was really proud of because I thought, you know, we we're getting the complexities of why people are out there and we know it was a political divisive situation already, but to let people talk about the many reasons they were out there uh, was something I was proud of. And I know that we kept delving into that and kept getting voices like that in our coverage. Uh, and that's why I think I really like that story to talking to so many different people, why they were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, in telling that story, you also narrowed in on an indigenous woman's role in the BLM protests in Detroit. That's something that you didn't see in, in other coverage as well. Talk about the, that moment and the power of that. Oh, in yeah, story. I, I really did love that moment. Uh, th- you know, throughout that summer of, uh, of marches and so many other things going on, uh, you know, there was a movement of uh, statues, uh, you know, across the country, mm-hmm. uh, whether they were Confederate statues or others, and, and the, one of the issues was about Christopher Columbus. And in other cities, I think some of them have been forcibly removed. Uh, so the city in Detroit took it upon itself to um, to actually remove uh, 
a bust of Christopher Columbus that's on Jefferson Avenue. It's been there for like 110 years. Mm -hmm. It had a plaque that said uh, the person who discovered America. Um, and obviously that was a huge moment for the indigenous community. And uh, I noticed a photo that just, you know, just popped up on my social media, but many times of these four indigenous women uh, who had surrounded themselves around that marble statue that used to have Christopher Columbus. And they were in, you know, sort of, as they put it, they were warrioured up. They were in their uh, jingle dresses, this beautiful uh, regalia. And one of them was actually had climbed on top of this of the column and sort of posed. And there's a very sort of regal moment. And it was such a great image of, uh, of, of just tremendous joy, I think, mm -hmm. and that they had uh, sort of defeated, I guess, or won a victory in terms of having to tell their story and their heritage. Uh, and so I went out and talked to those women. I mean, it was through Zoom, of course, but, uh, and they did talk about how, what a stunning moment it was for them. Yeah. And, you know, the photo went viral. I mean, by the time I wrote about it, it had been spread like, a hundred thousand times Vogue magazine actually wrote about it, uh, which even gave them more uh, coverage. But it was one of those moments where there was so much, uh, I guess, progress, I guess people feeling uh, energized by what they were seeing and through the Black Lives Matter moment to have a reckoning, to have uh, a sense of now is the time to speak out about these things. And, uh, uh, again, you know, we obviously, we, like everyone else, wrote about the uh, overall uh, disturbing trends that we kept seeing about Black Lives Matter and coronavirus. But uh, when I look back on the stories that I remember, I do remember stories like this where I got to tell people's story in the moments where people felt um, bonded, you know, resilient, uh, great moments for them. So yeah, I really yeah. once again just very much enjoyed writing that story. Yeah, yeah, no, it was it was a really great and different look at at what was going on. Uh, again, here on the phones, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter. We'll try to take comments from there and work them into the conversation here. Let's start with Trunetta in Detroit. Trunetta, welcome to the show. Yes. Hi. Hi. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Thank you. I simply wanted to make. Oh, Trinetta, I think your phone cut out there. Are you still there? All right. Trinetta, call us back, and uh, we'll try to get to the rest of your question uh, when you get back to us. Uh, thanks very much. Um, let's go to Leela in Plymouth. Leela, welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I, I just wanted to make a comment or uh, share with you an epiphany that I had as an instructor at Wayne State. Um, about three-quarters of the way through the semester, my students were really petering out, and um, they were feeling a lot of stress and strain and um, going online, and I was too. And then at one point, I just said to them, look, you guys can forever brag that you were the freshman year of 2020, and they, they were all freshmen, mm. and uh, that you can, you know, 40 years from now, whatever from now, you can brag to your grandkids like the watershed generations of the baby boomers and so on that you're resilient and you push through and you made it 
and this is forever going to define you, mm. but you have a choice of how you're going to let it define yourself. Um, and not to take away from all the suffering that is also going on, but um, if, if we look at our children, I have three kids learning at home, and um, they're doing amazing. They're really resilient and making it happen, and this is our future generation. So that was just a realization that yeah. I had. Yeah, Leela, I really appreciate you calling and sharing that story. I mean, I think there are a lot of people who are looking back at the year and 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 trying to see ways in which uh, you know the, the 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 strength that this community has and and the strength that our young people have in particular uh, has kind of been shining and and standing out even as we um, even as we get uh, deeper and deeper into the kind of loss and, and anguish that COVID continues to, to, to bring to us, there are things that have happened um, that really that really matter. Um, and, and that's a that's a really great uh, example of one there. Thank you very much uh, for the call and the comments. Uh, let's go to Lola in Dearborn. Lola, welcome to the show. Oh, hello. Uh-huh. Go ahead, Lola. Okay, um, uh, Mr. Stephen Henderson, I'm so glad to be able to talk to you again. <laughs> and, you know, I wish you the best because you're very special for oh, having this show. <laughs> but anyways, the whole thing is that no matter what happened, I'm a happy person. And I'm so glad that God lets me be the way that I am mm. because happiness is a big deal for me. Yeah. Uh, Lola. And so anyway, so like I said, everybody else, I wish them the best, and we'll be better for this when they come out of this pandemic, because whatever is going on, if they believe in God, they'll get an understanding. Mm. Uh, Lola, I really appreciate the call uh, and the comments, as always. Uh, it's always great to hear from you, and it's great to hear that, uh, that you're doing well and looking forward to... Uh, the year turning over and maybe 2021 will even be better for all of us. Okay, uh, I want to thank Bryce Huffman and Louis Aguilar, both reporters at Bridge Detroit, for being with us. It was really great to have you guys here on the show. Thanks for having thank us you, on, Stephen. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to add two more voices from Bridge Detroit. Catherine Kelly, who is Managing Director and Editor, and Olivia Lewis, a reporter and Assistant Editor, at Bridge Detroit will join us. Uh, you should continue to join us on the phones as well. 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking this hour with the staff of Bridge Detroit, a news and engagement organization focused on the city, its people, and their stories uh, that launched in May of this year. Uh, we were just talking with Bryce Huffman and Louis Aguilar, two of the reporters for. Bridge Detroit, we want to shift now to talk to two more members of the staff there. Catherine Kelly is the managing director and editor of Bridge Detroit, and she joins us now. Catherine, welcome to the show. 
Hello. Thank you, Stephen. Yes. And also with us is Olivia Lewis, a reporter and assistant editor at uh, Bridge Detroit. Olivia, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hey, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so, Catherine, I'm going to start with you. Uh, what a year that we are now <laughs> ready to say goodbye to. Uh, you are not uh, new to the idea of managing a news team. You were uh, the publisher of the Michigan Citizen uh, for for a, a good stretch of time. But talk about what it was like to be at the helm of this newly developed team at Bridge Detroit in a year where we dealt with a pandemic, a huge social movement, and, of course, uh, an election that ended up being pretty crazy after the election was over. Um, honestly, it felt really – I didn't think I'd be able to um, work in media again. So to be able to return to media, I mean, I think we all kind of understand and we see what's happening um, uh, in terms of coverage and um, newspapers, television stations losing revenue. So the opportunity to return to media, not just return, but return and tell the story of Detroiters was really exciting. So in this particular moment, like to tell it, watching what happened with Black Lives Matter, the elections. Um, so much happened this year, and the pandemic um, made it all, uh, um, it just enhanced everything. So it was it was great to be back in media yeah. and uh, work with this team. Uh, talk about uh, the, the, the team that we've put together at Bridge Detroit and how, how you've sort of worked to, to mold them to – to the time that we're in, uh, but then also talk about some of the standout moments uh, that you've had with this team over the last uh, seven months. To work with such an awesome um, and talented group, all all ages, uh, people of color, to be able to tell the story of Detroit is, is so cool. Um, Olivia, I've really enjoyed working with Olivia. Um, Olivia's ability to uh, really lift Detroit voice, which is actually a really hard and rare thing to do. Um, so much of media training, um, it, so much of media training just, um, it doesn't teach you how to um, tell um, the stories of the city. Mm. You're actually trained to kind of um, listen to the person with the microphone and uh, you know, Olivia is someone who is uniquely able to just kind of go to local voices and trust them and lift them up uh, in this moment. Yeah. Uh, Olivia, speaking of that, uh, you were at the center of Bridge Detroit coverage of the election aftermath, and uh, your work really did focus on lifting up the voices of Detroiters who were kind of at the epicenter of uh, the controversy that uh, was raised falsely by Republicans uh, about the votes that were that were cast. Uh, talk about those moments at uh, the TCF Center uh, and the stories that uh, that came out of it for you. Yeah, um, you know, every time I I think back, and it, I mean, it feels like it was so long ago, even though it's really only been a few a few weeks now, um, but. Every time I think back about what happened at TCF, uh, I'm still in shock by how that we weren't thinking about 
the people who are working at TCF as experts. And so I, and that constantly, like, it keeps, I just keep thinking about that of how, like, after all of the madness about the mob that showed up, Mm -hmm. um, about the follow-up hearings and meetings and lawsuits that were happening, um, that there were not, there wasn't like ongoing conversation about the Detroiters who were working at TCF and how they were actually experts on what was happening because they were there, they had been trained, um, they were there continuing to count ballots, continuing to certify vote, like all of these things. And so the stories that we were writing, um, and you know, Catherine and our, our whole team, we talked about this so much about like, what voices are missing from stories? You know, what are Detroiters asking about? And, you know, when we when we looked at what people wanted to hear, they wanted to hear about stories and the experiences of their own neighbors. Mm. And so um, I think that's why we really thought about how can we uplift the voices of Detroiters who were working at TCF. And so that's why we uh, immediately called Summer Wood to say, hey, um, what happened at TCF? You know, what's going on? Why is there this crazy mob there? And, you know, how is that affecting Detroit's vote count? Mm. Um, it's why we called so many of the, of the um, poll workers. It's why we wanted to speak with so many um, people who were <clears throat> who were there at TCF just to say what's happening, what's going on, and what was your experience because they're the actual experts in the room. Yeah, uh, you you did uh, talk for a long time with uh, Summer Woods, uh, who made national news when she stood up to this mob of pro-Trump agitators who were coming to Detroit and trying to disrupt. The vote count, uh, it's a story that, that got a lot of attention. Um, talk about the things that uh, she said and why it was important to sort of lift up her experience uh, in particular, uh, given all of the things that were happening. We even wanted to interview Summer because she was basically the gatekeeper to TCF. You know, she mm-hmm. was the one who was over logistics. Um, so it's not like the city had just plucked a bunch of people out of nowhere and said, hey, we're going to count ballots. Um, Like there was an actual process to this. Um, And so Summer was in part in charge of figuring out how to get everyone in the room and making sure that everyone was where they were supposed to be. And so in her interview, she really talked about that um, as well as how she was feeling about the whole process. Because even though Um, She is extremely knowledgeable, extremely experienced and has um, a lot of like forthright into like knowing how this process works and making sure everything is getting done. Like she was also under a lot of pressure herself. Hmm. And then she what she talked about and what I really admired about um, what she had to say was that she could also rely on other people who were working at TCF to say, okay, like, Hey, like I'm here for you. We're doing this together. We're going to count every vote and make sure that it's accurate. And so that was one thing that she that she kept bringing up that I thought was really important. Hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phone. So if you call, give us a call, let us know what moments stand out for you in 2020. Uh, what were the things that uh, you'll be taking away from this year, thinking about them as we get into 2021. Uh, also give us a sense of what you're maybe anticipating 
for 2021. Hoping that it'll be a better year. I think we all are. Uh, you can also go to Twitter and Facebook, put comments there, and we'll try to work them into the show. Uh, let's go back to uh, Trinetta, who's back with us on the phones from Detroit. Trinetta, welcome to the show. Well, hi. How are you? Hi, I'm Thanks good. For having me on. Yeah, go ahead. I just had just a couple of comments. First of all, to uh, address the question about the most significant moment, of course, of 2020 was, for me, was when I saw Detroiters stay home, mm. when I saw the streets be just just deserted because people were staying home. They got the message. They cared about themselves and each other, and they they stayed home. Mm -hmm. I was very proud and very happy because that's the Detroit I know that puts a shoulder to the wheel and does what needs to be done, even when it hurts. Uh, That's the first thing. The second thing is um, uh, uh, relative to the the questions around policing and uh, the comment that was made that some people feel that they're over-policed, well, I don't have that feeling. I don't feel over-policed at all. Uh, uh, in times, I feel under siege because I grew up in the city. I've seen it all through the 50s and the 60s and, and so now. So we've, we've gone through something. I understand that joblessness leads to a lot of bad behavior. But in the meantime, we have to do something about those people who continue to prey on other Detroiters. Uh, Detroit Police Department, the policing uh, has come through its own evolution, and it is much, much, much more respectful of the population than it was when I was growing up. Mm. So I don't have that issue. Mm. I think that we need to be accountable for what we do to each other. And when we can't be, we need a a robust policing presence. Uh, Trunetta, yeah. Yeah, Trinetta, I'm I'm really glad you called and and made those made those points. And it is always great to hear from you know the people who who live here in the city, who've been here for a long time uh, in the city, talk about how they're taking in all of the things uh, that are happening. Uh, so thanks very much for the call and the comments, uh, Catherine Kelly. Uh, this question of uh, over policing versus uh, vigilance against the crime that Detroiters also suffer from. I mean, that's something that we have to think about quite a bit, how to balance that at Bridge Detroit, because as Trinetta says, there are a lot of Detroiters who who feel like we need policing to deal with the things that that, that go on in the city. At the same time, uh, of course, at Bridge Detroit, we've also been super focused on the people who are victims of policing, and as Trinetta talks about it, uh, over-policing in, in some cases. Talk about how to strike that balance as uh, a news and engagement organization that is focused on uh, Detroiters themselves and their experiences. That experience is not uh, monolithic. It's not the same for everybody. Right. Um it's absolutely about uh, uh, Detroit's a really complex place to live and to uh, report on. So, uh, you know, it's it really isn't ever about, you know, over policing or, you know, it it's when you're reporting on Detroit is is always it is over policing. But it's also I don't feel protected or crime is an issue. So I think at Bridge Detroit, one of the things that we try to do is give um, the reporters, the writers, everyone enough space to be able to really say it can be um, it can be both things and still be Detroit. Um, I think one of the things that we've done uh, particularly well 
if you look at election coverage or um, uh, covering like the policing issue or defunding um, police issue in the city is to be able to um, pull out and highlight what Detroit sees. So um, one of the things um, that we were able to do in our election coverage or, you know, one thread that I think I saw in our coverage was the role of women and black women in the stories that we tell. And that's like a theme that I don't think you see other media outlets like following or playing out. Mm. I think Olivia's done an awesome job. I mean, she kicked off really early with a story about um, the women, black women who were working as essential workers um, and the issues they raised in, in a reopening plan. Or you look at uh, what happened, you know, not just with Summer Woods, but the number of women who played such an important part um, in the Detroit election from whether it was working as poll workers or um, logistics experts or, you know, voting for the first time. It's just, um, it's a real opportunity. And, you know, I feel lucky that we have enough space to be able to tell that fuller story of the city that someone can feel like, the police are overbearing um, and disrespectful, often violent, but also can say we 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 may need more secure to feel more secure in our neighborhood. So, you know, I think it's that ability to to just really to to be able to tell that fuller story, even mm-hmm. if it's more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there. Uh, Olivia, Catherine, talking about uh, the focus on uh, black women in the city and their voices and their role in uh, the the different stories reminds me of uh, a story that you did um, about anonymous Twitter accounts that were um, outing some people who had allegedly engaged in sexually inappropriate behavior uh, take us back to that story, which was a pretty sensitive story to tell, and talk about why it was important to tell that story and, again, lift up the, the, the voices of, of the women who were involved there. Yeah, well, first, I, it just needs to be said that, like, Black women really, really took over 2020. Like, at every single step, <laughs> anytime there was adversity, Black women were there, Black women were... Um, ready to stand up for what was right, like at every point this year. So that that just needs to be said, like point blank, period. Um, But for this story, you know, we, I I feel like I was watching it happen online for a couple of weeks and I wasn't really sure what to do with the story. Um, And so I really appreciate being able to take it back to our team to say, I can see this happening online. Like we're, we're seeing a lot of it happen in, it wasn't like it was just Detroit, but because there were so many other pages, but it was also like, okay, well now they're starting to call a few people out in the city. And, you know, there are actually black women who are now supporting these stories that are coming up and saying, Hey, like um, there isn't always a platform for survivors or victims to say like, this is happening to me. I don't know who to go to or um, how can I receive help? Or like, I just want other people to know that this happened. And so um, I think that was why that was, that was a big reason why we wanted to do this story in terms of just like saying, Hey, this platform exists and not necessarily um, 
to call anyone out specifically, but just to say like, there's a platform here and there are black women who are trying to support other black women who are saying that something happened to them. Hmm. And so figuring out like, what are the actual policies around this? What is okay to say um, for someone to repeat? And what is okay for, um, <clears throat> in terms of like how, how we report this story um, and making sure that we are reporting accurate information, but also uplifting Detroit voices. And so um, I think there were a lot of women who were really supporting each other online that I think was really refreshing to see and also just really important because that, that doesn't always happen uh, for survivors or victims. Right, right. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Vicki in Ypsilanti. Vicki, welcome oh, to the show. Hello. Hi. Mm-hmm. Oh, hi. Um, I appreciate you letting me have my voice be heard. I'm a teacher who's uh, teaching from home since March. I've only been to my school about three times since I started. Um, mm-hmm. I'm actually checking work right now. Um, it's been a wild year, and, you know, I've never met half my students. I'm rolling with the punches. I'm... An 18th year teacher feeling like a first year teacher every single day, but it's come along. And I hated it with a passion when I started and I cried every day, but I'm learning and I've got this now and I'm pulling one kid back in at a time and Hmm. teaching them it's not too late. I've been home with my own children. We've been to all the, we've been to 13, 14 different BLM protests throughout the state of Michigan, Lansing. Uh, My kids know to stand, but my kids, We'll stand up. And we've. this has been a year of strength. This has been a year of just learning how to motivate yourself, motivate each other, bring each other up, and look at the bright side, roll with the punches. Yeah. Uh, it's been a blessing. My daughter's a COVID nurse. She, did, she just graduated three days ago. And <laughs> she literally has been working COVID for for months. And she, it scares me every day of my life. But she's doing what she planned to do. She's being safe. And it's just a wild year, but there's blessings among all of it. And yeah. I'm just grateful that I have the strength. I have so many students who are suicidal and so many wow. kids. Just I think everyone needs to reach out. This is not, I think the word social distancing is the worst word in the world. It's physical distancing. It's physical distancing, Socially, right? yeah. <laughs> reach out to that person who is alone and just say hi, even if you don't know what to say, and just call them. People are very lonely, and it's a sad, hard time for a lot of these kids, a lot of their parents. And I think that's the main thing right now, this moment, is this is not the time to socially distance. This is the time to reach out and not let anyone be alone. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, I'm really glad you called. Uh, You know, we always love to hear from teachers, of course, on the show, especially this year. Thinking about how they uh, how they manage uh, all of the things that are coming at them while they're still dealing with uh, all of the things that uh, in their personal lives uh, are, are coming apart. Uh, Catherine, talk about the challenge of building a staff and the the the, the, the camaraderie and. Uh, collegiality that you need to to have a staff, uh, a newsroom staff, in a year where there is no newsroom, really. I mean, uh, the the Bridge Detroit staff has been together maybe a handful of times uh, since May, uh, and yet you've been able to make it a team that uh, is really working together to lift up Detroit voices. 
some may disagree with me, but I actually believe a newsroom is a really creative place. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're working with creative people, and to launch something, to start something from scratch, um, it's. I really think it's about kind of about energy and energy movement, and people working together and feeling comfortable and being open to share their ideas and. Uh, to be vulnerable, um, but also to kind of have the the space to pursue ideas or passion. So it was hard. Um, you know, we only met each, I think we met each other once in May, and we've conducted most of our meetings uh, via Zoom and online. But um, I, I think, you know, I'm really happy and I'm proud that we were able to build that trust and I really feel like we're 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 only starting to truly gel and I'm so excited about what 2021 is going to uh, bring this team because I think we're only getting more comfortable with each other. Um, we're excited about the work each of us is doing and I just I, I think it's a really big accomplishment to be able to have come together and, and work through 2020. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Catherine Kelly, Managing Director and Editor of Bridge Detroit. It was really great to have you here uh, to talk about the work. Thanks very much for joining us. And uh, Olivia Lewis, a reporter and assistant editor with Bridge Detroit. It was great to have you here, too. Thank you also for joining us. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, also, a shout out to Orlando Bailey, who is uh, the other member of the Bridge Detroit team. He is the engagement director. Uh, didn't quite fit into the theme of this show, but uh, amazing work that he's been doing as well. Really engaging with Detroiters across the city. We will, of course, have him in uh, sometime soon to talk about his work as well. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow. It'll be our annual Festivus airing of grievances on Detroit Today. And we're going to have a lot of fun with that, even in a year where we've got so much sadness. We can laugh, I think, about some of the things that annoy us about each other. I've got a long list about folks here at WDET that I'll be sharing tomorrow. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.